Hi, I'm David Massover. Welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast, where I'll be interviewing senior sales leaders, sales experts, and sales service providers about what else, what it takes to drive B2B sales revenue. So thanks for being here. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Driving B2B Sales Revenue. My name is David Massover. I'll be your host today. And today we have got a great guest. Today we're talking to Matthew Toth, the VP of Sales at The Neat Company. Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, David. I'm excited. Oh, good. Me too. You are the VP of Sales at The Neat Company. You have over a decade of sales experience. You are a member of the Revenue Collective. So with all of that experience and all of that perspective, What's the single best piece of sales advice that you have ever received? Yeah, definitely. So I've heard a lot of advice over the years, but the single best piece I've heard is learning is never done, right? Learning isn't a goal. It is only a process to help you get to your goals. I love that. And how does that manifest itself in your work and in in the way that you approach your work? Well, you know, it starts from from kind of how I personally feel, right? Every day I need to learn something new in my career, in my personal life, and about myself as well. So I take that into, you know, into the office, into the business environment and make sure that I'm I'm continually learning, right? I'm I'm doing that for myself, whether it's learning about a new process, learning new methodology, learning a new way of copywriting, you know, learning some new aspect of the job, but also, you know, bringing that to my team as well, making sure that learning, continuing education and development is a important goal within our department. A culture of learning across the organization. I love that. You said something really interesting. You said, you know, learning about yourself. I've always believed that sales is a great vehicle for personal development. And it's also important to sales success that you work on yourself as an individual outside of that professional realm. Can you share with us maybe a story about something that you've learned about just you as a person that wound up helping you in your role as a sales professional? One of the biggest uh, misconceptions, I would say, about successful sales people in general, right, at any level, whether it's an individual contributor all the way up to, you know, the very top, is they're all alpha sales people. You know, it's the pressure sales, it's the always be closing. And, you know, when I first started out, I, I saw some people, you know, both in my company as well as out there in the world that were doing this and being successful. We all see them, right? You know, they're laying on top of limos or planes or what have you and, and really doing it. And that's great. It worked for some people. And I tried to emulate that because I thought that's what sales was. And what I really learned about myself is that I can be successful. And I, what I call is, you know, like there's the A for alpha or B. I'm an A minus, right? Not obviously in skill or talent or anything of that magnitude, but in my attitude. I'm not the bull rusher, right? That's going to just plow through a sale, but I'm going to do it with caring, with research, with a little bit of the patience and, and respect and those types of qualities. And I found that about myself that it really works. And of course, you know, of course you, you, you catch all the flack from, from the group when, uh, you know, you're, you're not that and you're like, who's this nice guy over here? And, you know, that's one of those things that, that I really learned about myself that one, that's okay. And two, I can definitely be successful. 
being that kind of frat party alpha male thing is really exhausting, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's okay, right? I mean, there's certain areas that it needs, right? You, you need somebody like that. And there's certain cultures that it fits into. And that's great. I'm not here to, you know, trust me, I've hired many people like that because we needed that within the team or within the group. So it's just like a team, right? You, you need you need the superstar. You need the uh, you know the the sixth man off the bench. You need every aspect of of a team to make a successful, healthy team. It's a really important perspective that I think gets lost on a lot of people that don't have a lot of experience in sales. There's this perception that there's a certain type or a certain personality, but I think if you've been around long enough, you've seen certain personality types both fail and succeed, and all different personality types can fail and succeed. So it's, it's really, um, it's kind of an awakening. You start out with this idea, I'm supposed to be this certain thing. And if you can get over that and hang in long enough, you realize, listen, the, the goal is about finding a way to make sales successful for me in a way that works for me. And I think when you start heading down that path, that personal development path, if you will, I think you're really heading in the right direction. It sounds like you've had that experience as well. Absolutely. You know, as you mentioned earlier, it, it can definitely be exhausting if that's not who you are. If it's not who you are inside and who you are as a person, trying to put on a facade is very exhausting. Trying to do something and be somebody that you're not, you're working 10 times harder to just be at the bottom of where somebody else is naturally and then improving all the time. So really learning who you are as an individual helps to figure out your personal style in business, right? And this could be a, a CEO, this could be marketing, this could be any department within a business, not just sales. Everybody, there's a stereotype for every you know, position within a company. And I really think you know, about learning about who you are inside as a person and building on that is much, you know, much more important than anything else. A discipline for learning inside and outside of the profession, fantastic advice. I think that could apply in a number of different situations, but certainly in sales as a, as a profession and as a craft and as a trade. But there's a lot of bad advice in sales as well. Can you share with us maybe a, a, a particular gem of bad advice that stands out to you that you've run across during your time in sales? I've worked in uh, high velocity sales you know, a, a portion of my career and, you know, operating a large call center like that, the, the advice I, I got, and it, it made sense kind of at the time, but it was always like, ah, still just not, you know, I, I don't think that's the way we should do it. And that advice was, you know, that salespeople are just a commodity, right? You can just bring in a lot, let the cream rise to the top and get rid of the rest and then do it again next month, right? That way you always have the top salespeople and you're just getting rid of the rest that can't hack it, that can't you know, uh, keep up with the pace and whatever else that you want to hear. Obviously, I did that for a little bit because that's what was being directed to me. But you know, after a while, what I, really, what I realized was you know, if you hire well and coach well, you could be successful treating people as actual humans, right? They, they don't have to be a commodity. It's not, you're gonna, you know, it's not the hunger games here. You're not bringing on 10 and keeping two you know, just because it's a, it's a numbers game, right? Everybody's a human. You're going to hire the person if you hire well and coach them to be successful. It's a sadly common perspective. I see this in a lot of organizations. Sometimes it's, it's really explicit. Sometimes it's more subtle. In the more subtle organizations, I think what you tend to see is that salespeople just don't get support. 
it, it may not be so cutthroat. You know, you sink, you swim, and if you sink, you're out, but they don't get support. I have my own personal hypothesis that this is because some people just don't understand how to teach someone else how to sell. Do you think that's the root of it? Or do you think there's something else behind that? I think it's a few things, right? I mean, teaching people how to sell is definitely one thing. Sales is a teachable skill. Some people are born with the background, the personality, the innate ability to think on your feet. So they have a leg up in the, you know, in that environment. But anybody, introverted, extroverted, all can be very, very successful in sales as long as they have a great coach, as long as they have a great mentor, somebody that's building them up, not only in pure sales skills, but as a person in general. And, you know, as sales have evolved, right, there's so many avenues that you can get into. Maybe you're not the best person to be an SDR, right, or to be prospecting or cold calling, but maybe you're great in enablement. Or maybe ops is your way, right? You still need to understand the skills of sales. You still need to understand how to do sales. But you may be on the back end, you know, helping work the process, not necessarily building a relationship with a prospect or a client. And that aspect you know, was lost on the, just bring them in, you know, uh, let the cream rise to the top and see who has it, right? The alpha uh, salesperson versus uh, an introvert necessarily can all be successful as long as the background of learning and development is, is key within the organization. Oh, that's good stuff. That's really good stuff. It's not a one size fits all. It's not black or white. It's really about paying attention and putting the right people in the right roles where they can succeed and then helping them to be more successful. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. Tell me a little bit about The Neat Company. It's a great name. The business helps handle a problem that can sometimes be very messy. Can you tell us a little bit about what The Neat Company is all about and how you help businesses operate more efficiently and effectively? Yeah, definitely. So The Neat Company in its current form today It's a SaaS product that helps small businesses simplify those bookkeeping and reconciliation tasks that plague most small business owners. You know, most of our customers have gotten into business because they like being a baker. They like being, uh, you know, in construction or landscaping, building something, creating something, not doing the books, right? Not, Not running a business, but actually doing the activity that the the business services. So what NEAT really does is is help them connect to all of their financial accounts, allow them to easily and simply capture all of those expense documents that are associated with the business and very quickly and easily have them in real time, not only tackle those bookkeeping and reconciliation tasks, but be able to garner some insights from that information and that data as well. So it's not a surprise at the end of the quarter or at the end of the year that their accountant comes to them and says, hey, we have a problem. They can have some of that information in real time, and it doesn't require them to every day take multiple hours out of their time to do the books, right? To reconcile and and keep everything in order. Neat software between our mobile apps and our web browser app allows them to see all of these documents coming in in real time, making sure they have 100% of their transactions so that reconciliation between periods is is a breeze. You said something interesting. You said in its current form. 
you and I talked a little bit offline, this hasn't always been the go-to-market strategy. How has NEAT evolved over the years? Yeah, so uh, the NEAT company started in 2002, and we really focused on expense reporting. So this is before smartphones. This is before products were in the cloud. This was a, a software that had a parsing algorithm in OCR that would read those receipts from business travelers, allow them to, you know, one touch create an expense report. So, you know, the company really started off by meeting our customer where they were, airports, airport kiosks, online, obviously. And then we expanded into retail. So we met these Soho, these business travelers, the people with home offices and so on in these small businesses where they shopped as well. Not necessarily where they were with the airport kiosk, but then where they shopped. So through that, we expanded into all of the major you know, office superstores and, and retailers that you can think of. And through there, we attracted a new level of customer, right? We attracted the the home CEO, as we would call them. So we started getting into infomercials. We started selling our product. Now, this was a physical hardware scanner that came with our software CD. And we became from expense reporting into document management. At this time, it was scan anything in, right? It was scan in your business documents, your tax receipts, whether it was for home, for business. We'll help you sort and organize and store all that information within our product and get that all keyword searchable for you, allow you to find it very quickly and, and back it up, right? So people were using it for everything. Our, we had customers all over the board from businesses to solopreneurs to home, using it just to organize and store all of these documents. From there, we decided to get out of the scanner world. It became time where you know it was either time to keep up with the rest of the, the competition in the scanner world, or divest ourselves from those. So we, we made the strategic pivot to divest ourselves from the scanner. We've moved our software up from the desktop into the cloud as a backup product. And from there, really pivoted and got back to our roots of expense management, right? So now, instead of you know being in all of those retail uh, locations and really kind of going for that Soho, that, uh, that, that, that home user, we pivoted our software to focus again on the small business, on the expense management and so on. And finally, we're just pivoting again and really focusing now on that bookkeeping and reconciliation process that I mentioned at the top. Through that, we've carried customers all the way through that have been using us for those. And there's also been customers, you know, that, that unfortunately had to, to go with a different product or a different scanner or, or something of that magnitude. So, you know, it's been a long history of pivots, but being in a small technology company, really following the market, it has been amazing the continued culture, the continued long standing employees that have been with us for a while to weather the storm and to really pivot and make sure that we're on the forefront of technology and staying with the customers that we can really help. You're anticipating a whole lot of questions there because with all of those strategic changes, with all of those pivots, all very logical, all really makes sense. As technology has evolved, you've kept up with it. The obvious question is how do you manage customer relationships as your product changes? And you address that. Some stay with, some don't. But how has that affected your perceptions about what it means to be an effective contributor and an effective leader to go through so many pivots in such a relatively short time? 
Yeah. So, you know, both as an individual contributor uh, within all of these pivots, as well as a leader, and as well as the different contributors and leaders throughout the company, I think the one thing that has stood the test of time is effective communication, right? You need to make sure that everybody understands the, the strategy, the whys, right? Why are we being opportunistic before we really think we need to pivot? Making sure that we as a company and as a leadership team, along with every employee there, is fully on board with our next move. They know it as, as soon as that pivot is, uh, is decided on. So, you know, having that culture of communication is so important to be able to, to make those types of changes. So when you are looking for new employees, thinking about all of the, the pivots, thinking about the emphasis on communication, thinking about the impact on the culture, what do you look for? when you're hiring someone, knowing that they're going to be entering into this very dynamic, very opportunistic, sounds like a pretty exciting environment. What makes a good employee at the Neat Company? Once again, it goes back to the, the best advice from the top of the, of the podcast there. I look for somebody that is coachable, right? Somebody that is always out there for self-education and education and learning at any opportunity. Always somebody that's looking to make themselves better because it's not like I've been on a treadmill for, for the 12 years I've been with the company. I've been able to pivot, to be able to learn. When something new has come out, they say, oh, Matt, hey, we know that you're going to take the time and learn this new avenue, right? From running a, a, a small, not a small at that time, a call center to now dealing with logistics on selling into retail because you'll learn, right? You'll take the time and learn. So we look for hires that are willing to take the time and have the passion to learn something new and be willing to pivot. And that's one of the benefits of a small company. I mean, that's not just need. It's small companies as a whole. You, you never know where, where the next opportunity lies and being able to change and pivot very quickly is something that uh, innate to all small companies. And, and we hire that way. You use one of my favorite words in all of sales, which is coachable. When somebody's coachable, what that means to me is that they really want to succeed and they're going to do what it takes to succeed. I think there's a lot more to it, but that to me is really the point of departure. When we spoke previously, you shared an expression with me that I really like. And the expression, I hope I'm quoting you correctly, but you said something like, you can coach passion into someone. No, no, no. You can't coach passion into someone, but you can coach passion out of them. Can you tell us what happened to, to make you come up with that expression? What, what's the history of that? Those actual words, I'm sure I, I read somewhere, right? I definitely don't remember where the, that specific phrase came from. So, and, and I definitely can't take credit for it. But I think that was just a better way to phrase it. I've always kind of lived that, right? So, so myself, my, my passion is sales. And, and that sounds so, okay, sure, sure, sure. My passion really is sales. And I, and I learn and I do things and I spend time outside of you know, work hours uh, learning. But I don't expect new hires or, or even hires within my team to have that same passion. So there's no way I'm going to coach that passion into somebody else. I'm never going to put them in a training room for a week or two weeks or, or one-on-one coaching and, and they're all of a sudden going to walk out going, I have a passion for sales. That's just not going to happen. But what I can do is in coaching the passion out, I can find out what they are passionate about, right? So if it is running, 
if it's sports, if it's cooking, if it's reading, whatever their passion is, during the hiring process, I start breaking down, okay, well, how do you educate? How do you self-educate about that passion? What are your steps? What are your processes? What are your goals? How do you, what are your timelines to get better, to learn more, to expand the types of dishes you cook, whatever the passion is, right? And I can use that. I say, okay, great, right? You spend 20 minutes, you told me you spend 20 minutes reading about your passion every day. If you could do the same for sales, you'll learn, you'll grow, you'll be, you know, take that passion they have, that, that, the process they use to get better at the passion and use that. So if they ever say, okay, well, I'm investing that time here. If I invest that same time here, that's where the, the real development and real learning will come. So I can use the motivation, the process of their passion to have them make sure that they're staying on top learning and always continually developing. I love it. And it's interesting because you see a lot of people making the kind of mistakes that you're talking about. You, you see someone who is a very effective salesperson or an effective, you know, whatever they were, and they start a company or, or they get a leadership role and they presume that the people who are working for them have that same passion. I made that mistake when I got into sales training. I believed that people were going to be as motivated as I was. And all I had to do was stand up in front of the room and tell them a couple of things and they'd all take the ball and run with it. And you know, not everybody's wired that way. So it sounds like a very valuable learning that you've been able to put into effect on a daily basis, I'd imagine. Oh yeah, it wasn't always like that, but well, yeah, throughout throughout the years, you you know, you you really find that that is right. I can stand in front of a room of people, and it's like, wow, I'm losing them. Okay, well, because they don't have the same passion I do. So how do I build that excitement into something I'm passionate about and the job or the role that they you know that that we're hiring them for? And there's as much cheerleading and rah 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 as you could possibly do. But if you really harness what they're passionate about, it may, it makes it a whole lot easier. So I want to close out with the, uh, you know, if you knew then what you know now question. You're the VP of sales now. You didn't start that way. But if you could go back in time with the knowledge that you have now, what would you do differently earlier in your career that you think, how would you benefit from the lessons that you've learned a little bit later in your career? So I'm going to give you two. The very first one is I wish I would have taken networking a little bit further. So, you know, only recently, the last few years, uh, have I taken networking seriously. And it's not just to grow my network and, you know, meet new people and those types of things, but it's the learnings that I've gotten with. I've been able to network with sales professionals around the world and take tidbits of, of their learning, right? And their experiences and their failures and really rolling it into my processes. So, if I could give myself, you know, 10, you know, eight, 10 years ago when I first started in management, uh, a little tip, it would be network and get to know some other professionals that have been doing it so much uh, longer than I have and, and learn from them. And the second is, you know, going back to uh, what we were just talking about, taking the passion and really taking the passion out of somebody and, and using it for them to grow is, is having patience, Right having patience with myself, with the process, and with my team. When I first became a manager, it was under a circumstance of 
a reduction in staff, we'll just call it that. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, I was uh, reporting up to the CMO and in charge of running this call center, sales call center. And I decided that uh, I knew everything and rip and replace was the way to go, right? And uh, clearly that was not the way to go. Uh, so, you know, I ended up losing, uh, you know, some good salespeople. And, and I wish I would have just had more patience with my team. What made me successful as an individual contributor wasn't necessarily going to make the team uh, successful as a, as a whole. My rules, my processes, my thought, the way that I operated was not the way that was going to be necessary for a healthy team. So I wish I had a little more patience, sat back and, and really you know, absorbed the process as a whole absorb the team as a whole, see where the strengths and weaknesses are, and, and really have a, a better 30, 60, 90-day plan, if you want, before just kind of ripping and placing and saying, hey, I, you know, I was the best salesperson, so let's do it my way. So right. you know, going back, I, I wish you know, networking and taking the best advice and, and the learnings from others' failures, as well as you know, just having a little more patience, which is hard in a company that pivots and, and is small and is always on the go. That's a tricky balance, but that's really great advice. Very great advice. If people want more of your great advice, they want to learn more about you, they want to learn more about what the Neat Company is doing to help companies, where is the best place to find out more? Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you're a small business owner or you know somebody that owns their own business, everybody has those issues with the bookkeeping, the reconciliation, that running the business in the back end or the back office of that, that, uh, that company or business. Reach out to us at uh, neat.com. Myself or, or one of my great teammates will help you understand you know, your workflow, your processes around what you have and what you're doing with bookkeeping. Or if you're an accountant or a bookkeeper yourself, we also do have a partner program for you as well. So reach out to us, neat.com. And if, if some of the coaching and uh, leadership and sales tips here and, and, and you like kind of the way I think, reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's linkedin.com forward slash IN slash Matthew J. Toth. Happy to connect with like-minded individuals and we can kind of uh, you know delve through this in, in, in a more detailed uh, way, as well as following my content. Matthew Tote, this has been a fantastic interview. Thank you for sharing some of your time and some of your experience with us. It's really been a pleasure. Likewise, David, and thank you for having me on. You've been listening to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast with your host, me, David Massover. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you and your sales organization accelerate growth, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, reach out to me at davidmassover.com or find me on LinkedIn. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know about new episodes. And thanks for listening. Now, let's go drive some B2B sales revenue.